In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. T.S. Eliot, perhaps one of the greatest poets of the 20th century, wrote that April is the cruelest month with its false expectations of life in a wasteland of death. But here in Illinois, as well as where I live in Indiana, perhaps in the northern part of all of our country, November is really the cruelest month of all, for it appears as if death is all around us. The beauty of autumn is a recent memory, and the reality of cold, damp days are upon us. The leaves are down, the trees are bare, and the days are growing darker and darker as the winter solstice approaches, and it appears as if the death of the world seems imminent. Now, November also seems a rather cruel month in the church year, for during these last three Sundays of the church year, the lessons are apocalyptic. And what I mean by that is simply this. They focus our eyes on the final revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Jesus' words to us today are apocalyptic because they focus our eyes on the end of all things. And what an appropriate time in the year to do such a thing. Because it seems as if in our own nature, as it grows dark and ominous, it appears as if the world is dying, that it's coming to an end. And so naturally, through the centuries, the church has taken this time of year to focus our attention on suffering, death, and judgment. And yet one of the last things we might want to think about at this time of year, if indeed we focus on that theme, is birth or rebirth. That seems more appropriate for T.S. Eliot's month of April with its hope and expectation of life in the spring. And yet central to Jesus' words to us this morning are about birth, or birth pangs to be exact. That is, the sorrows and the sufferings that anticipate first the destruction of Jerusalem and then the end of the world. Now what is going on in Mark 13? Isn't this where Jesus begins his final teaching before his death, the chapter that focuses our attention on the signs of the last days? And isn't this in fact November in the end of the church year when we do think about the things of judgment? And yet, why birth pangs? Well, listen to what our Lord says. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, Jesus is simply answering here a private question by his disciples about what kinds of signs they are to expect for the destruction of Jerusalem, for the end of the world, for the close of the age. And Jesus is simply saying to them this, that birth pangs are a sign that the end is coming. And these birth pangs are produced by false teachers who come in Jesus' name and say, I am the Messiah. 
These birth pangs are wars and rumors of wars, of nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom, of earthquakes and famines. All these things, says Jesus, are only birth pangs. But as he also then says, the end is not yet. Now how will we know when these birth pangs begin? Well, Jesus and his disciples are about to depart the temple for the last time. And these Galilean pilgrims who come to Jerusalem very infrequently, perhaps only for the Passover, they are still overwhelmed by the magnificence of Herod's temple. They're standing there in one of these wonders of the world, looking around them at these phenomenal stones and this extraordinary holy of holies that they gaze upon. And they wonder how it is that this might be destroyed. And Jesus says to them, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. You see, the birth pangs begin when the holy city of Jerusalem is destroyed and this magnificent temple is laid to waste. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who are sent to you, behold, your house is forsaken and desolate. This is the lament that Jesus spoke as he stood there on the Mount of Olives looking over the city of Jerusalem in that final week before his death. This is the lament he spoke concerning what he saw happening to Jerusalem. And those must have been devastating words for his disciples. For his Jews, the temple was the center of their faith. It was an external sign of God's favor because this is where God dwelled. This was the locale of his presence and therefore his gifts. And that lament over Jerusalem, that forecast of the destruction of the temple, clearly signaled to them that the end of the Old Testament was here. Jesus is very clear here. The destruction of the temple is God's judgment on Jerusalem for killing the prophets. Killing the prophets, that is the essence of what Jesus is saying to those scribes and Pharisees in his final woes to them before he enters Jerusalem. Yes, God sent Jerusalem over and over again, prophets and wise men and scribes who called them to repentance and to see their salvation right there before them in the very Torah that they had. And yet what did they do to those prophets? They persecuted, they killed them. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, which simply means from the very beginning of the Old Testament to its very end. And now there was one more prophet to be killed. And there he was standing before them in the holy city of Jerusalem, in the holy temple. There he was standing in the pattern of all the suffering righteous prophets before him. And as the last and final prophet, Jesus must die. He must die not only for all the prophets, but for all the people to put an end to the suffering of God's holy ones, God's righteous ones, once and for all. And in doing so, 
what Jesus does is institute a new testament in his blood. And with the shedding of his innocent blood comes the death of the old Jerusalem and the fulfillment of the law. For there on the cross, Jesus and the law collide, and the law condemns him as sinner. For he who knew no sin became sin for us, and the law killed Jesus, because there he fulfilled the law by loving his neighbors, loving us to the point of death. But then with his resurrection comes the resurrection of the new Jerusalem and the new creation into which we have been baptized. For did not Jesus say, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up? And does not the evangelist St. John tell us that he is speaking about the temple of his body. By the death of Jesus' body, the new temple, our bodies die once and for all. And by the resurrection of Jesus' body, our bodies are raised once and for all. But the end is not yet, says Jesus. All this is but the beginning of the birth pangs and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Now I think you and I can testify that in the suffering of the church, in the suffering of those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we see the beginning of the birth pangs all around us. Suffering for the sake of the gospel, for his name, in a culture that is hostile to the gospel, in a culture where we labor under a cross with false gospels that are offering empty promises. This is a time when it is important for us to stand in this world and confess the true faith, to confess it in the way in which it has been handed down to us that God takes flesh and dies, that in a cross we see the glory of God, that in a cross we see what our God is truly like. And that cross continues in the suffering of his saints. In Jesus we see the one who is faithful unto death, even death on the cross for us, for the sins of the whole world, and everybody who lives under that cross is going to suffer birth pangs, and as he calls them, glorious birth pangs. Birth pangs that are actually full of promise and hope that the eternal city of Jerusalem is coming. Birth pangs that are a sign and a taste already now of the resurrection that is to come. Remember what motherhood meant for a Jewish woman. Without those birth pangs, her life was empty. She had no goal, no substance. But when those birth pangs began, her disgrace was ending, and the promise that awaited her was about to be fulfilled. Well, like a mother with birth pangs, you and I await for the final consummation of all things. And yet we know that just as Jesus must die, so must his church suffer in these last days between the ascension and his coming again in glory. 
These are signs of the end, but they are not the end. But these birth pangs do not mean that we have to wait for the new Jerusalem to come down from heaven, from God. No, we glimpse, we have a foretaste already now, right here in this place where Jesus Christ is present of the new Jerusalem and the new temple. For Jesus is here today in his church. He is here today in our worship offering the gifts that only he can give with his flesh. The gifts of being released from your sins, the gifts of salvation in him, the gifts of a life in him that never, never ends. And now before the end, you and I have the blessings of the end even though the end is not yet. And as Jesus says to us, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is here in you, in the baptized. His death and resurrection are here in you. And when you hear his word from Daniel and from Hebrews and from Mark, he is present in those life-giving words and you hear his voice and he speaks to you and he gives you those gifts. And then when you gather around his table to receive his body broken, blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, you stand there in his presence with bodies washed clean with water, word, and spirit to see that you are standing in the new Jerusalem in the new temple of his presence. Here in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your sufferings, you are refreshed by the presence of the one who has suffered for you. And as you worship now in Jesus' presence here, in this place, with all your sufferings, you prepare for worship in his presence in the heavenly Jerusalem, where he promises to you there will be no more birth pangs. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.